other side of midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. There are a handful of events in your life that you always remember where you are and when and generally what you were doing. Obviously, for a lot of people, it's the Kennedy assassination. For those of us of a certain age, it's the September 11th attacks. And I think for New Yorkers and New Jerseyans and people in the Northeast, it was Superstorm Sandy, and I'm mentioning it because this week is the 10th anniversary of the devastation of Superstorm Sandy. There's already been a lot of coverage of this in the media. There's been a lot of recognition from this from local elected officials, including Mayor Adams. And a lot of the coverage has focused on different things, how the rebuilding went, how we're prepared or not prepared for the next storm, uh, climate change. And I think those are all important conversations to have. However, in all the coverage that I've seen thus far, There was one aspect of it that I did not see mentioned anywhere, and I have to mention it. It is the importance of local radio. And when I say radio, I mean radio. Not listening to a radio station on your mobile phone or a computer, but listening on an old-fashioned radio. During Superstorm Sandy, almost everybody I knew in my neighborhood had lost power. For at least a day. Uh, For some people, it was a week. For some people, it was two weeks. And they had no television. They had no Internet. And for a lot of folks, their only connection to the outside world, the only way that they were able to get vital information, not only about services that could help them, but what the weather was going to be, how bad things were on the roads, all sorts of other things, what organizations were there to help them. The only place they could get that was from local radio. And uh, Curtis and I were working at another radio station at, at that time. And I actually think we did some of our best work in our entire career at that time. And we were working around the clock. I think we were doing nine hours of local programming a day, all focused on one subject, Superstorm Sandy, and how New Yorkers and New Jerseyans were going to recover from this. And there were so many people that reached out to me after that and said they discovered that radio station for the first time or they had rediscovered Curtis for the first time or they'd heard me for the first time. And to me, it reinforces what I think is an essential idea about modern America, which is that when there's an emergency, there is no medium that gets the job done quite like radio. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. The thing about having principles is this. They only really count if you stick with them, irrespective of who or what those principles apply to. How does this apply to the current discussion? Well, by now you have probably heard the news report that uh, Senator Bob Menendez is rumored to be under federal criminal investigation. Now, I don't live in New Jersey, but if I did, I would never vote for Senator Bob Menendez. In fact, I'm hoping that my friend uh, Assemblyman Robert Auth 
runs against him in two years. He's not my kind of politician. I don't agree with him on policy. I don't agree with him on foreign policy. Also, I think he's a little too comfortable in the uh, what they used to have smoke-filled rooms. These days, it's uh, vape-filled rooms and glad-handing in a back room somewhere rather than making his case to the public. He's much more comfortable with his constituency being political bosses. That being said, I think this is absolutely outrageous what you're seeing here. The federal government and the Department of Justice has been trying to go after Robert Menendez for years, and they did go after him. They charged him with uh, accepting favors from Melgan a few years ago. That trial ended in a hung jury, and ultimately they chose not to retry him. There have always been rumors about him being under federal criminal investigation when Tom Kane Jr. ran against him. That was a big ad. Uh, Bob Menendez under federal criminal investigation, federal criminal investigation. These leaks in the press today that you're hearing all over the radio, those leaks come from one place, the Department of Justice. And what the Department of Justice is doing here by putting those leaks out in the media, but without producing any evidence whatsoever, is they are trying to prejudice the jury and make it so that if Menendez ever does go on trial again, that it's not the same result as it was a few years ago. They want to make sure they have a guilty verdict and they're doing it by putting their thumb on the scale. I think it's outrageous. You know what I hear when I I hear someone's under federal criminal investigation. I hear not convicted. You know what I hear when someone's under federal criminal investigation? Not indicted. And you know what I hear when someone's under federal criminal investigation? Innocent until proven guilty. So I would say to the DOJ and to you, if you're tempted to dance on Bob Menendez's political grave, what I would say is let's see some evidence of crimes first before we Push him out the door because there's a rumor about a federal criminal investigation. And I'd say that irrespective of who was in the crosshairs of the DOJ, because that's not a place anyone wants to be. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Well, remember... Former New Jersey Assemblyman Jack Chitterelli, of course you do. He's been running for governor pretty much nonstop for the last six years. And last year, he almost won. Well, now he has figured out why he narrowly lost the governor's race to Phil Murphy last year. He said that his election efforts were hampered by a lack of racial diversity on his campaign team. This is a quote Quite frankly, there's no better way to say it. My team was too white. He said that during an event Monday hosted by Rowan University's Institute for Public Policy and Citizenship. I did well in the black and brown community, but I could have done better. In post-election interviews, Chitterelli, who plans to run for governor again a third time in 2025, has said making greater inroads in black and brown communities was an area he needed improvement in, although he has seldom mentioned the makeup of his campaign team. I have to tell you, I find this a little outrageous. You mean to tell me that the only people that can figure out the proper messaging to appeal to black and Latino audiences or audiences of color are other minorities? Are you saying... That white people are so incapable of coming out with messaging that uh, minority communities want to hear that the only people that can do that are people of color. I I have to tell you, as a white person, I find that 
incredibly offensive. There are a wide variety of factors that contribute to groupthink. And I think diversity is an, an important component of a campaign team. But I think that diversity should really first and foremost be intellectual diversity, diversity of experience. And Jack Cittarelli didn't mention any of that. He didn't say, well, I needed more people that come from a working class background. I needed more people that weren't super rich mega donors or people that are used to begging politicians for money. Uh, I needed more people that are from the streets. He didn't say anything. The only thing he talked about was color. And to me, this reinforces identity politics of the worst type. I find it very disappointing, and I find that it contributes to this narrative that's out there in some corners of the world that white people are the root of all evil. I got news for you. We're not. White people are very capable at coming up with messaging that communities of color want to hear. Maybe the problem for Jack Cittarelli is he doesn't have much of a personality. Maybe the uh, problem for Jack Cittarelli was he came across as a little bit of a stiff. Maybe it was a lack of charisma. I don't think the problem for Jack Cittarelli was too many white people. Do you? Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. One more hour to go. Please don't touch that radio dial. I'm Frank Morano, and I am a gambler. As you may have just heard in our AC report, I make no bones about the fact that I enjoy gambling from time to time, including when people tell me I shouldn't mention that on radio. That being said, you may be surprised at uh, my opposition to the proposal for a casino just a few blocks from where I'm standing right now. Caesars for a Times Square casino and a lot of Broadway theaters are not at all pleased with this. The Broadway League has jumped into the debate saying they don't see a gambling mecca as a good fit alongside the dramas and musicals that draw tourists to uh Times Square. I have to say, I agree. I think it's one thing if you're going to bring casino gambling to parts of the state that aren't already super crowded or that have dealt with economic distress or could use a shot in the arm when it comes to development. Neighborhoods like Coney Island, for instance, maybe even the Rockaways, beachfront communities where there's some space. Times Square is already congested to the max. The traffic is out of control. And when I say traffic, I mean every form of traffic. Pedestrian traffic, vehicular traffic, bicycle traffic. So let's plop a casino in the middle of the crossroads of the world where there are already way too many people. And folks that are going to be very desperate for money, folks that in many cases will probably have had too much to drink uh, or probably be... Uh, inebriated in some other fashion and more likely to contribute to things like theft at a time when crime is already going in the wrong direction in Manhattan, this strikes me as a very poor idea. And while I spend a lot more time in casinos than I do at Broadway plays, I 100% agree with the Broadway League on this one. And I hope they're successful in beating back this bid by Caesars to open a casino in Times Square. To me, it makes no sense. Makes no sense for New Yorkers. Makes no sense for the Broadway League. There are so many other great locations in our area. I'm not crazy about the expansion of casino gambling to begin with, but that ship has sailed. There are going to be three new downstate casinos. I just don't think one should be in the middle of Times Square. Beam me up! 
To be continued.